Podcast One. Growing a business can be hard, but there are some fundamental growth strategies you can implement easily without spending a fortune that can take that beautiful business of yours to the next level or two. Now, today's guest has done just that. He's one of Australia's best marketers who, in just six months, has secured distribution for his groundbreaking product in 21 countries. It's a mind-expanding episode 489 of the award-winning Small Business Big Marketing Podcast. Well, I said, welcome to a small business marketing show, a successful small business owner share their souls to take your marketing straight to the lead. Now, here's your host, Mr. Tim Bowie. And welcome back to your weekly dose of marketing medicine. I'm your host, Timbo Reed. You, infinitely more importantly, you're a motivated business owner and you're ready to crank out some great marketing to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it absolutely deserves to be. And that's exactly what we do around here. Plus, you can join our free Facebook group for some ongoing accountability and marketing discussion. Just search for the Small Business Big Marketing Tribe on Facebook. Big episode today. Big episode today. We reconnect with past guest Mark Livings, whose range of non-alcoholic spirits, cleverly called liars, has experienced some enviable growth in just its first six months of trading. Great story, and he's going to take us inside exactly how he's done it. This week's Monster Prize Draw winner embraces my helpful marketing theory for some pretty good results. Uh, Plus, I'll let you in on who's joining us in upcoming episodes. As per usual, team... There is marketing, G-O-L-D, dripping from the ceiling over here at Small Business Big Marketing's HQ. So let's get stuck right in. As I mentioned in the last episode, we have got some cracker guests coming up. The biggest of them all is Seth Godin, the marketer's marketer. If you don't know who Seth is, I'd Google him, but I know you do because you're into marketing. Really excited to bring you that in a few weeks' time because he was very, very giving of his marketing advice. We've got a fellow Chandler Smith who is a leading door-to-door sales expert. Even if you are never intending to sell door-to-door, you are going to love his sales advice. And Brenton Ford, a swimming coach who is doing things very differently to all other coaches and making a mozza as a result will also be joining us. Some really, really good episodes coming up. But right now, let's meet today's guest. Now, this is a big call, but I'm going with it anyway. I think Mark Livings is currently one of Australia's best marketers. So much so that despite having interviewed him only a few months ago, June 2019, I felt the need to get him back due to the extraordinary growth he's been achieving. Mark's the founder of a range of non-alcoholic spirits called Liars that he launched only six months ago and it's literally taken the world by storm. How's this? It's a beautifully designed brand. It goes without saying. You can check it out at liars.co, L-Y-R-E-S.co. But he's already got distribution in 21 countries around the world, including the big ones, the United Kingdom, the United States, New Zealand. Hello to all you Kiwis. He's established partnerships with Amazon in the UK, USA, and Australia. He's just launched a best-in-class e-commerce website that's going gangbusters. He's receiving amazing interest from over 30 global venture funds and all this has happened in just six months 
Now, I'm hugely grateful for Mark finding the time to do this interview as he's literally travelling the world at the moment, pitching in some of the biggest retail and investor boardrooms going around. And by the way, in the spirit of full disclosure, actually, in the non-alcoholic spirit of full disclosure, see what I did then? I'm a very happy investor in the Liars brand. And oh, by the way, Mark also provides us with a 40% discount after the interview, which you can you know, sample the product if you choose to. Now, I started off by asking Mark to give us a sense of the rapid growth the Liars brand has experienced. Sure. I guess one of the one of the things that you love seeing in your in your board reports or when your CFO puts something together is that classic hockey stick shape emerging. So we're seeing a bit of that at the moment, which is brilliant. We couldn't be happier with how the brand is going, not only here in Australia, but also in international markets. So in the last six months, we've taken it to our friends across the ditch in New Zealand. We've also entered the US market and we're uh, on sale in the UK market also. So, you know, six months, four international markets uh, and some amazing rate of sale data starting to come through. We couldn't be happier. Are you surprised? Uh, I have to admit that I am a little bit. I mean, it's a new category. And when I explain this to people who are coming into the business as staff members or considering taking the product on as a distributor, I like to describe it as a bit of a black swan event where, you know, we've got this confluence of all of these different trends coming together. So people making healthier, more wellness-based choices about what they consume. But also as well, people wanting to continue to socialize and have that sophisticated beverage experience while they're out as well. So it's, it's a really interesting point where we're sort of sitting across the nexus of more than uh, one trend and um, it's starting to reflect in our sales numbers uh, and in just how quickly we're scaling as well. So am I surprised? Absolutely. So um, yeah, like I said earlier, couldn't be happier. Um, just, just to again, just put to scope, uh, put some scope around the growth. What kind of distribution partners is Liars now being found in overseas and and locally? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, and I'll explain explain I guess how we take our product to market. There's distributors around the world. Some are small, super tiny, hyper niche. Some are really huge. The gorillas in the playground that everyone else fears. For us, what we're finding the most effective way forward is to find what we're calling the Goldilocks zone distributor. So our Goldilocks zone distributor is big enough that they can take us across the country very quickly, but not so big that our brand is lost in this enormous portfolio and we struggle for voice with the distributor's sales force on the way through. So getting that balance right of scale uh, versus focus has been really critical and it's been really formative to the growth. Mm-hmm. And and retail outlets. I know you're in some pretty, you know, some pretty big name outlets around the world. Yeah. So I guess one that people wouldn't have heard of in Australia, but definitely would have in the United States is Bevmo. So we've just launched with Bevmo. There's 130 stores up and down the West Coast of California. These guys saw our brand come through and they got so excited by the opportunity that they took pretty much every SKU uh, and they've reset their store in order to accommodate the new category coming in. So we were very excited when they put that on the table and said, we'll support you like this. And then jumping across to the United Kingdom, we've signed some pretty extraordinary retailers there. We've got high street retailers and from the 1st of January, we'll be available in Sainsbury's. 
um, which wow. is an incredible testament to the brand, uh, particularly when coming out of Australia and being able to be bought on the other side of the world, you know, only six, only six months into its journey. I want to talk to you about your three biggest wins since launching. Um, before you answer that, Sainsbury's has got to be right up there. How? How does one get into Sainsbury's? Interesting. There's the long road and there's the short road. And the long road, I think, for most people that are manufacturing a consumer product involves, you know, finding a distributor, waiting for the distributor to get a meeting, presenting in conjunction with the distributor, negotiating price, getting a contract, waiting for a slot to become available for the brand to go into the store. That is a very, very long sales journey. You know, so much so that, you know, your business you know, you, you can potentially struggle for, for months or even years achieving a major retail listing. Mm. For us, we did it in the shortcut manner. So the network effects of the people that have invested in our business have been pretty incredible. So for us, we were able to use the relationship that one of our investors had to get directly in front of the Sainsbury's, uh, what they call the future brands team. And the future brands team, their sole purpose is to identify super high potential new consumer brands and get them in front of the consumer as quickly as possible in order to determine if this is something that they should be leaning into in a big way as a broader business. So we presented to the future brands team only two to three months into being available in the UK and they leapt onto the uh, the product fairly quickly. And um, we figured that you know dry January being a, a really key time in the UK, that's offset of course in Australia by dry July, people tend to want to stop drinking in those colder months. But what we thought would be a great time to launch it would be around dry January. Uh, and that's what Sainsbury's have done. So we've aligned uh, this occasion where a huge chunk of the UK market drops out of the alcohol category and starts looking for alternative choices to our availability on shelf in the Future Brands program. It's a big meeting going into the Sainsbury's boardroom, I'm guessing, Mark. Um, Tell me about your mindset and how you feel going in. You know you've got a good product. You're confident in what you're presenting. You know, that's a great head start. Clearly, there's still some nerves attached. Yeah, it's always the case when you've got, you know, meetings that can change the destiny of your business as you run them. Um, I think any entrepreneur can identify that moment where they they grabbed a big client or they had someone believe in them and uh, it really shot them from, you know, orbiting the earth into into the universe so you know we've had more than one of those moments but th- that was definitely one of them i guess with regards to you know approaching meetings like that a lot of people you know it's important to tell your story it's important to show your passion but the missing piece i think is you know really put yourself in the buyer's shoes and help them find what what's the win for them what are they looking for what does it look like for their business and what can your brand or what can your company do for them that helps them improve their bottom line or improve their customer experience or something along those lines. There's always a secret little latch in there somewhere and it's really incumbent on good entrepreneurs to find it and make that the centerpiece of their presentation. So so what is the secret? I had this conversation with uh, past guest Steve Sims who has Elton John as a client. He talked about getting past the baby Dobermans in order to get to the big Doberman and it, it was about understanding what the need of the baby Doberman is, and it's different each time. What's your secret sauce? Yeah, look, the um, 
I guess the thing is, when you're coming from a position that we are, where we're in the vanguard of this new category, we typically have the best data available with regards to how people are approaching the category. Uh, and it's really important that that data and those learnings that you build get shared with your potential retail partners like Sainsbury's. So if we can say, hey, Mr. Sainsbury's, here's a demonstrable shift in how people are approaching beverages and here's your opportunity to be to ride the crest of the wave on the way in. That carries so much more merit than turning up going, hey, I've got this great liquid, I'm a really nice guy, the packaging's awesome, will you take us? When you can really quantify the opportunity and show exactly how your brand fits into the changing landscape of consumer behaviour, that's when you start to add a tremendous amount of value as a vendor to those businesses. I love that quantifying the opportunity, wrapping some numbers around what it is you've got to offer. Because as you say, you've got great packaging, it's a great tasting product in Liars, great point of sale, you've got all that. But that's sort of like, it's almost a ticket to the game. Whereas if you can wrap some numbers around it and show why this is going to succeed, they're going to love you. Mark, tell us about, um, you, you've had so many wins along the way in such a short period of time. I'm really interested to know what are the three biggest wins that you have experienced in the first six months? But more importantly, what can we as business owners learn from them? How did each one come about? Sure. I guess the, um, the first one that springs to mind, it's the obvious one, is we picked up a whole swag of awards for the quality of the product. So um, we've taken out, you know, first, second, sixth and seventh. So we've dominated the top 10 non-alcoholic alcoholics awards in the Australian Drink Easy Awards. But the one that I'm particularly proud of, and and I know you and I were talking uh, a little while ago about how great is it to be an Australian entrepreneur. One of the things that, uh, that came up, our senior vice president in the United States, he's a gentleman by the name of Christian Butler. He very cheekily entered uh, a whole bunch of our products into uh, the SOMCON Concord of Spirits, um, which is basically where 12 of America's most respected palates will judge the quality of a liquid in their category. Now, what Christian didn't mention to anyone when he entered the products in was that they were non-alcoholic. And we had these master sommeliers and these well-respected palates. They actually awarded four of our products and gave our sweet vermouth a double gold, which was the best-in-class vermouth for that show. So we've turned up with a non-alcoholic vermouth and blown the field away without anyone knowing. And uh, for me, that was an incredible moment because that puts us really head and shoulders above the rest of the category where we go, we can stand alone as a brand, compete with our traditional spirits, brothers and sisters, and still really shine as a liquid. For us, that was a really, really formative moment. And that's when we knew and we sort of built that belief within the team that we had something really special going on. So for me, that's our number one. What did you do with that information from a marketing point of view? Yeah, for us, we uh, <laughs> the answer isn't we PR'd the bejesus out of it. So <laughs> <laughs> for us, it's uh, – and look, we've, we've appointed PR agencies in all of the regions in which we operate. Uh, so it – becomes, you know, let's quickly draft a media release, let's get the photos together, let's put it into all of the publications so we can reach the people who are making the buying decisions in the trade and let them know that we're coming. So it's all about absolutely smacking that drum as hard as you can while the news is hot 
and it's really interesting. So in the US in particular, it's been incredible. So we know that when our, our brand ambassadors are turning up to venues, they've already heard about the brand. They know that it's an award winner and they're really excited to taste it. Awesome. Second biggest win? Second biggest win, I would say, would have to be the partnership that we formed with Amazon. Similar to the Sainsbury's uh, example that we were talking about earlier, we had an extraordinary parachute sort of delivered to us by one of our other investors who had this incredible relationship with Amazon Global. And we were able to get right to the decision makers and really uh, straight to the people who formed, you know, what products will be focused on, what products they will get behind uh, for driving into new programs and into new markets. So for us, the global relationship has been incredible. I've been to Seattle to see uh, Amazon in their head office, which was brilliant. And they're, they're particularly excited about this category um, because they, I guess, like every other retailer, e-commerce or traditional, they really want to stay ahead of the curve with regards to where the consumer is going and what they're desiring. So how that manifested for us is uh, we were one of the foundation brands in the Launchpad program for Amazon here in Australia, which means we get some real benefits with Launchpad. You get to use video content in the ecosystem to help sell your product which is really unique. Other brands don't get that opportunity. Two, we get, uh, I guess, Amazon Sherpas. Navigating a, a huge organization like Amazon is incredibly difficult for new producers and new consumer products manufacturers. So having someone able to show you the ropes and I guess more importantly, help you scale internationally into Amazon and other markets, that's been incredibly valuable. Uh, and then, of course, is how much they love and are focusing on our brand at the moment. We'll be in the Amazon Launchpad programs for the US and the UK in the very near future. And they'd like to see us in, in all of their new markets within the Launchpad program. And I think it's something close to 14 new countries that they'll be in in the very near future as well. So that relationship more than any has been incredibly formative and, uh, again, our staff are super energized by it and, and, and really loving working with them. There's a learning here for everyone, which is around partnerships. We've, we talk a lot about it on this show, which is that notion of finding someone who has the attention of the people that you want to get in front and then develop a, a relationship with them that is a two-way street and that gives your brand or your business or your offer massive amplification. You have been lucky enough, you've got some heavy hitting investors in the Liars brand, tapping into their networks. Is there a, you know, is there a tip mark that you've got for those smaller businesses who are going, I don't know who to partner with, I don't know anyone? Yeah, um, I guess I do. The, the number one tip that I would have, and I think it's important for, I guess, your listeners to understand, I've been in the beverage industry for close to 15 years. And these network effects that I'm referring to and that I'm talking about, they don't just happen overnight. Some of these have been relationships that have been curated, invested in for you know well over a decade. Uh, and then when you add in very, very high quality investors with incredible networks, those network effects just explode and they really help your business scale uh, much faster than it would otherwise. So I guess if you're looking for a tip, Tim, I'd say never, ever forget to water the garden of your network. It's so important and you need to approach it like you're not going to leverage it down the track. You really need to approach it like 
I need to work with these people. They're good humans. We have a lot in common uh, and invest in the network without expecting a return and help people on the way through because inevitably, and you know, you can get a little esoteric on this, but karma exists in these networks. And if you get a reputation that you're a great person that can help other people commercialize their brands or make introductions that are really formative to the success of their business, it does return to you. So I guess my number one tip is start early, do it often, um, and do it with really as high quality people as you can find that share your principles and share your vision. Well, as they say, your network equals your net worth. Um, how do you nurture? It's all very well to have those partnerships and those relationships. And now you're into Sainsbury's, you're into Amazon. How do you nurture those relationships because you're a little fish in a pretty big pond? Yeah, you're right. I guess it, it comes down to continuing to add value. So if we're talking about nurturing the Sainsbury's relationship or the Amazon relationships, it's really about empathy. There's a really old sales adage and I love it. And people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So when you put the customer or the consumer in the case of a consumer good, but when you put that person or that organization at the very center of your purpose for being, that's when you start to uh, realize tremendous value in relationships. If you say, take a look at a Sainsbury's or a Woolworths locally or a BevMo in the US or an Amazon globally and go, right, what is it that your business is trying to achieve? What is it that your executive is looking for? And what is it that your shareholders expect? How can I help with any one of those things? And if you can find an answer that lies within your brand, that's where you start to deliver value more beyond just simply the margin they can make on your product. So for me, that would be the number one tip. Be really, really, really empathetic with who you're selling to and let their success as a business define your success as a brand or a vendor. Oh, I love it. Big win number three, Mark Livings. I would have to say it's the people that we've attracted to the organization. I'm, I'm surrounded by absolute rock stars. And we're talking about those network effects before. I've had the sheer joy of tapping people that I've loved and respected within the industry for, for many, many years on the shoulder and I said, hey, you want to do something crazy in a beverage startup, leave your high paying corporate job and come and do something a little bit mental with me. And overwhelmingly, the response has been absolutely yes. Love your passion, love your vision. I want to be part of it and I want to help deliver it. So I have to say that the quality of the team that we're putting together is absolutely incredible. And I'm humbled that some of them have elected to sort of share the journey with me on the way through. So I'm, I'm counting that a big win. Have they shown themselves post-success? And is it frustrating that they didn't want to come and work for you before you got some significant runs on the board? No, I don't think so. But Tim, I do think there will be part of that on the way through. Yeah. So I do, I do think some people are inherently more conservative and, and do wait for there to be proof in the pudding before they will take a leap of faith. But that's why I'm counting it a win, is we're able to attract that caliber of person into the organization early without those runs on the board, simply by selling a vision, having them taste the liquid and telling them the story with regards to the brand. 
and who was backing us and what our vision for the brand was on the way through. I think there's a massive learning here, Mark, in the sense that, yes, success um, attracts great talent. People want to be a part of that. One thing you did straight out of the gates, and we talked about this in our first interview, is building a brand. Mm. And not just any brand, but a very strong brand visually, uh, in words. There's an incredible emotional attachment that you quickly get when you decide to be part of the Liars tribe. You just have to look at, I mean, for those listening, go and have a look at liars.co, the website. Go and have a look at a bottle on the shelf or look it up on Amazon. And it's, you know, it's aesthetically very appealing and, you know, uh, rightly or wrongly, it sounds a little bit superficial, but but people want to be part of, of good brands. Absolutely. And the there's one thing, Tim, to get someone to pick a product up off the shelf. That's probably the easiest battle to win is getting the price right and getting them to buy it. But then the real journey starts. It's like, right, how does it taste? Or how is it to use if it's not a, a food or beverage item? Mm. Um and then the journey after that that consumers will go then through is, did I like it and will I tell my friends about it? And then once they move beyond that is, how do we turn them in from advocacy to absolutely rabid fans? Mm. So it's, it's, it's a sort of four-step journey all the way through from consideration, trial, advocacy, and then absolute rabid fandom. Uh, and for us, it's about getting people from that first point, and we're still only a six-month-old business, but our our challenge now is to take people from, yes, they've picked it up, they've put it in their trolley, or they've ordered it over a bar. How do we get them to do it again? How do we get them to tell their friends about it? And then how do we get them to not shut up about it? Well, you better answer those questions. <laughs> They're big questions <laughs> every yeah. business is asking. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So look, the first one is how do we get them to buy it again? That's all down to the quality of the product. Yep. There's a there's a lovely old adage in marketing and I don't hear it used very often anymore, but I love it and I use it all the time. And it's nothing kills a bad product faster than good marketing. So if you're doing good marketing, you're creating a lot of attention, you're creating a lot of hype and you're creating a lot of conversation. And if the product doesn't stack up, then people are going to be talking about how bad the product was to consume or how bad the product was to use. So in order to move from trial to repeat purchase, you have to have a high quality product that people love. So that's really the key thing there for number for getting through that second gate, mm -hmm. getting them to tell their friends about it. Advocate. That's, yeah, become an advocate. That's where you need to create an emotional connection with your brand. And there's so many more tools available now in 2019 than there were 30 or 40 years ago in the days of TV or radio. So what we can do is we can bring people into online ecosystems. And part of that can be community. Part of that can be content that we create people love and love to share. And part of that can be uh, what we call UGC or user-generated content. How do you amplify and retell the stories of the people that are consuming your product to other people who might be considering your product or who have already tried the product and want to share the stories on the way through as well? So that use of community is very, very important to start moving people to advocacy. And of course, you can also incentivize people using tools of e-commerce. So 
we typically see this around, you know, refer a friend and you'll get a 20 to 30% off. Or if we draw from the, down uh, from, the, from the pantry of some of the world's most successful brands, throw a Tupperware party. Um, so Tupperware party hosts get some great discounts and get some great um, social kudos from their friends for doing it. How do you take that wonderful bringing people together dynamic around your product and use it to amplify advocacy? So right there's a few tools there. And then, of course, moving them to being absolutely rabid fans, that's a really interesting one. For me, and this is the one that I think most marketers and advertisers struggle with the most, is you have to deliver them something life-changing or you have to move them fundamentally and emotionally. So working that out is incredible. And it could be, and I'll just throw out some ideas, you could give them a money can't buy experience that your brand delivers. So for example, with Liars, we might say, hey, you're an amazing fan on social media. We'd love to take you on a world tour and we'll go to Disneyland and we'll go to the factory and we'll go here and there and we'll give them an incredible experience that they would otherwise have never have had. And the, the person that you met before might be, hey, come and meet Elton John with me. But that's how you turn someone from someone who's an advocate to someone who's an absolutely rabid fan. And the more of those you can bring into your brand and build, the more powerful and the more uh, equity building your brand has. spirits i suppose you can that's exactly what they are yeah we um we've, we've had a bit of debate over that i think the industry is still trying to find its way with language in the category it's emerged so quickly the reason we call them spirits is because we humanity is familiar with the word and for me the word spirits is something that's high intensity that you mix with other beverages or you make into a cocktail so for me that's that's how spirits in people's minds is defined now, there's the technical definition, which is, you know, something that's distilled and is made to a particular proof. But I don't think that's how someone off the street understands what a spirit to be. And we've seen, you know, this occur in other, other industries, other language as well. So, for example, a carriageway uh, on, a, on a highway is not where horses and buggies go down. But, you know, the technology has moved on and hu human language has evolved. Trolls no longer live under bridges and uh, uh, in Grimm's fairy tales. They live online and they make your life hell. The language evolves and we think the word spirit will continue to evolve as our category emerges and continues to grow market share. Mm. Uh, Mark, I want to talk about your number one growth strategy, your number one marketing strategy. Would, would the growth strategy be partnerships? Um, yeah, so partnerships are incredible. So we very deliberately decided to, as we scale internationally, use a distributor model. Now, you do give away a little bit of margin in your value chain by doing that, but what you're getting is you're getting turnkey relationships with major retailers. Uh, in, in the case of our uh, products, you're getting relationships with bar owners or publicans and the like, and you're getting a sales force that you don't need to pay for out of the blocks. So having, having, using the distributor model has allowed us to expand what we call horizontally. We're presently being sold in four markets internationally. By the end of Q1, we'll be in 21 markets internationally. And that's simply because we're utilizing distributors who have turnkey sales forces. So it's letting us grow as quickly 
as we are. So that's our number one growth strategy is leveraging other people's networks, cutting them into the value chain and allowing them to make a margin on the way through. And you're exchanging a little bit of that margin for accelerated growth. I, I notice you've chosen to, to limit your marketing to existing alcohol beverage channels when you could actually promote lies anywhere. I mean, you could actually promote, you could sell lies out the front of a primary school because at the end yeah. of the day, it's not alcohol. You're sort of passing it off in a sort of way. Like you, you, you're following alcoholic beverage marketing. Is there a reason for that? Is it a positioning thing? It's a couple of things, Tim. And um, look, I'll, I'll tell you a story. When, when we sample our product, there's a placebo effect. If we start making people gin and tonics, espresso martinis, amaretto sours, Mai Tais, after they've had four or five, they start to feel lightheaded <laughs> and there's a placebo effect there. That's how close our products are to the original when they're made into mixed drinks or cocktails. So we know that given how close the flavour profile of our product is, is that if these get into the hands of miners, our product can help them normalize the taste of what are very adult flavors like gin, things that are very high in bitterness or very high in sourness, we can help normalize those tastes at a below legal drinking age. So we saw that as very, very unappealing and we saw that as something that we needed to do something about and it's a responsibility that we take very seriously. So we resolved as a business to only sell our products in channels where there are alcoholic products available. Uh, we've asked our distributors and the sales forces and the major retailers where possible uh, to check for ID. And we've also chosen to comply in all the markets that we're active in with the alcohol advertising guidelines. Now those guidelines reflect community standards in those markets and we want to be seen to be upholding those. So these products are very deliberately designed to be an adult beverage with adult flavours for adults, uh, and that's why we've made the decisions that we have. Are you leaving a whole lot of money on the table then by not being available in, say, supermarkets or 7-Elevens? Yeah, look, the, the supermarket thing is something that's actually quite unique to Australia. In most supermarkets around the world or and most 7-Elevens around the world, you can buy beer, wine and spirits as easily as you can buy your cornflakes, toilet paper and nappies. So supermarkets are a really important channel for us. So in the Australian context, we will not be selling our products through the supermarket channel because there's not beer, wine and spirits available in supermarkets in some states. In states where they are, we will be, but we'll be doing so in the area of the store where beer, wine and spirits are sold. They won't be sitting in the aisle where you'll find soft drinks or mineral waters or cordials and the like. They'll be definitely sitting in the adult beverage area alongside their alcoholic brothers and sisters. You say you're on a big, your big mission is for alcohol-free cocktails to sit on menus as comfortably as vegan meals at a local cafe. I like this. How's that yeah. going? It's going well. We've, we've, we've changed our vision, Tim. And we realized that, you know, when I spoke to you last time, you know, that's an interesting symptom of if we're hitting our target, we can achieve. But we spent a little bit of time doing some navel gazing and as every business should and going, right, what is our purpose? What are we trying to do here? And we've redefined it to changing the way the world drinks. So for us, if we're changing the way the world drinks and we're achieving our mission, 
part of that will be to see things like, hey, here's your cocktail menu. And by the way, these three or four here are still delicious, sophisticated, beautiful beverages. They just happen to be non-alcoholic on the way through. So yeah, we've, we've sort of adapted that sort of reason for being, but I think the one where we've landed is far more powerful now. It's a fascinating area to be in when you a new product in a relatively new category and you take on the role as educator. It is. And look, that's shaping our marketing strategy. For us, it means we're over-indexing in things like PR, where we're focusing a lot on helping the media articulate what these products are, where they belong in people's lives, and how they consume them. And we're also over-indexing, I suspect, versus a typical beverage brand or a typical spirits brand, is we're running a much bigger army of what we call brand ambassadors. And I recall, Tim, we spoke about brand ambassadors last time. A quick recap is they're they're men and women who go out to the trade that aren't exclusively sales-focused, but they're there to educate, inform, and train the trade so that they can then become the salespeople for you. So we're currently live at the moment. We're a team of 35 people full-time. By this time next year, if we're hitting the numbers that we think we are, we'll be close to 80 to 90 full-time employees with the vast majority of them being brand ambassadors in the field, working alongside our distributor sales forces, delivering that education that's so important for this category to be a success. Wow, 80 to 90. Um, Is keeping up with production going to be a challenge? Yes and no. The good thing about our product is is the way we've made it is it's it's very, very easy to scale. But those typical landmines that you can stand on in production are always there. Um, we had some uh, later this year where quite literally we ran out of bottles and we couldn't get any more bottles. So it's sort of pinned a few new markets back a few months because the existing markets that we were operating in were going through such an incredible amount of products, so much quicker than we anticipated, uh, that it pushed back the new market entry until we could, you know, get our supplies of bottles back in. So a real key learning there for us was to make sure our raw materials supply and our stockpile was was in place that could keep up with our growth curve. So yeah, it's not all it's not all roses on the way through, Tim. There's always challenges, there's always frustrations. Uh, And it's one of the worst moments in the world where you have to pick up a phone and tell someone who's absolutely in love with your product and wants to start selling it that they can't have it for another two to three months simply because you've run out of raw materials. Speaking of challenges, you you are uh, a global brand now. Main, what, what's the main challenge facing heading overseas? And to also to that point, how powerful is Brand Australia when you're dealing internationally with businesses? Yeah, two good, two really good questions. I think, as a as as you would know, I've got a marketing background, Tim. Keeping the the messaging consistent as you move from market to market is critical. That said, you can't be so inflexible that you don't adapt your brand to move to shape it around exactly how individual markets work, how different cultures work, and how different language is used. Um, That's really important that you localize your brand, but keeping it consistent, and as you scale so quickly and your team grows and you add more and more partners into your mix, keeping the vision very, very clear, keeping your purpose front of mind, 
they're really the key challenges when scaling, uh, I guess, from a from an organization perspective, alongside the things that most people would expect. You know, you need to, you know, build operational capabilities, different levels of legislation and compliance. Getting someone paid in the US is infinitely more complex to paying an employee in Australia. And then it's compounded if you're in 20 markets uh, by March, like will be. Our CFO is just about dead. He's in the office next to me at the moment because he's been getting his head around all of the uh, all of the different uh, ways that you need to operate a business in different markets. So, so Mark, just to wrap things up, mm. let's talk about how you're going. This has been an incredible ride. You've been on the market for six months, but there's been a couple of years before that where you you know, rolled the sleeves up and got the flavor profiles right. We're traveling to Germany a lot because that's where you, you, you worked on the flavors with an Australian sommelier. But now you are traveling the world. You know, I, I watch you. I live vicariously through you, through the, the emails or speaking to other investors. You know, I'm honored that you've made time to have this catch-up uh, interview. How do you maintain, I don't know, how are you not exhausted? How do you keep going? I mean, it's a very positive story. It's it must be incredibly exciting. I'm guessing you wish the the days were longer. Yeah, of course. And there's inevitably there's always more you can do than you have hours for in a day. Uh, and having a truly global business means that the business is always on. There's always emails coming through. There's always chat in our sort of internet chat forums that we've put together via WhatsApp and the like uh, around the world. So. The business never truly sleeps. And you're talking around things around founder health. And this is a really, this is an area that I'm, I'm very passionate about. I do, I sit on the board of the Aussie Founders Network, um, along with one of your other guests that I believe you've spoken to, Carl Hartman. Yes. So we're both on the board for the Aussie Founders Network. And founder health is incredibly important. And look, I won't lie to you, Tim, it's, it's taxing. Um, I've been on the road, I think now over 200 days. I've been traveling internationally. It started to manifest really strangely. I'm starting to feel more at home in hotel rooms than I am at home. And I do feel, in all honesty, like a little bit of a space cadet from time to time because it's you're just constantly in execution mode. In part of this journey is you get to speak to a lot of uh, profile venture capitalists, venture funds and private equity. And I've heard a few of them refer to it as beast mode, where you just go completely animal-like in terms of scaling your business in order to make it a thing. Uh, but everyone is cautioning and saying, look, this is not sustainable. And as a 39-year-old man, I'm not in my early 20s, I do have a finite amount of energy per day. So yeah, the answer, Tim, is I do feel it. But by the same token, the winds, you know, that, that they beget a, a different form of energy. And so uh, it can be quite addictive. The adrenaline as it comes through uh, is brilliant. But what's most important is the team around me is incredibly supportive and everyone's working as hard as I am. And everyone is supporting each other because we've been really, really careful to ensure that everyone on the team has this shared vision. One of the other venture guys we spoke to describes it as blood in the teeth. So when a thoroughbred or thoroughbreds are racing in something like the Melbourne Cup, if they've left everything out there on the course, they've run so hard that their lungs are bleeding. And wow. for us, we're, 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 we're running and our lungs are bleeding at the moment because we are blitz scaling and it's a fairly new phenomena uh, around 
how to scale a business rapidly. But everyone in the team knows, one, it's not sustainable and we can't do this for the next five years. Two, we have to build in systems and processes that alleviate the amount of hours that we're spending on scaling the business uh, and continue to deliver to a really, really high quality. And three, we need to look after each other and each other's mental health on the way through. So what we're doing is incredibly ambitious. And thank you for recognizing it, Tim. And that means a lot coming from you in particular. Um, thank you. But um, it's really, really important to recognize our limits as well uh, and to take care of ourselves. What we're doing is special, but nothing, nothing should come at the expense of, of your mental health on the way through. Here, here. Couldn't agree more. Uh, Mark Living's awesome story, buddy. Six months in. I don't think I've done an update that quickly with a guest before. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm almost feeling like we should be doing monthly, but uh, that would be silly. So uh, I'm going to welcome you back in a year's time and, and just well done. Look after yourself. Look after your team and wishing you a huge amount of success in the, the weeks, months and years to come. Thank you, Tim. Really great to chat again. Well, there you go. Liars, non-alcoholic spirits founder, Mark Livings. If you'd like to try any of the Liars range, Mark has kindly provided us with an exclusive discount code that gets you not 10, not 20, but 40% off over at liars.co. That's L-Y-R-E-S dot co. Simply type in friends40, that's the number 40 at checkout. Or you could enter the monster prize draw where the weekly winner wins, amongst other things, an entire range of Liars non-alcoholic spirits, which alone is valued at over 500 bucks. More on that shortly. But right now, here's what grabbed my attention from that chat with Mark. In fact, given Mark is the king of quotes, as you just heard, here's three of his quotes that piqued my interest. Quote number one. Now, in talking about empathy, I love how Mark suggested, and I quote, Putting yourself in your buyer's shoes and ask yourself what you can do for them to make their life easier. And he followed that up with another quote saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I love that. Put more empathy into your marketing. Quote number two that grabbed my attention. In talking about building and nurturing your network, I love how Mark said, and I quote, never forget to water the garden of your network. Invest in them without expecting an immediate ROI and always help people on your way through, end quote. Love that. It's all very well to build a network, but you've got to help them out as you grow, help them grow. It's called a quid pro quo. Just ask, you know, that weird bloke who's running another big country on the other side of the world. And quote number three that grabbed my attention, uh, it's in regards to great marketing. I love how Mark said, and I quote, nothing kills a great product faster than good marketing, end quote. Very, very true. So uh, I think the best marketing is a great product. Well, those three quotes grabbed my attention. Whatever grabbed yours might be a quote, might be an idea. Be sure to block out some time and implement it. Monster Prize Draw. Oh, yes, indeed, Lee Doodly. It's time to reward another motivated listener for taking some serious marketing action. And today's winner is. Andrew Simpson, 
of myhealthteam.com.au. Andrew says very, very briefly, Hey, Timbo, my business partner and I have been listening to your podcast since about episode 50, and we quickly caught up. We have sunk our teeth into the helpful marketing you keep banging on about, so we made a website dedicated to it. Here's part of our website that will hopefully blow you away. Now, when and he says all the best, Andrew Simpson. I went and checked it out. It's at myhealthteam.com.au, and he has an incredibly helpful knowledge center that covers all aspects of managing your bodily health. Is that the way of putting it? You know, like you've got a shoulder injury or a knee injury or a neck injury. He talks about how to manage that. Very, very helpful, and Google will love it. Well done to you, Andrew, and your team over at myhealthteam.com.au. As a result of entering, you win this 70 <laughs> collecting my thoughts there. Ignore me. A $75 Flora and Fauna voucher, a Lumber Punks $100 voucher to go and throw some axes, a 180 headlamp that's valued at 100 bucks. boxing gloves from Fitness Enhancement, 40 bucks. You get a range of Liars non-alcoholic spirits. They're worth 500 bucks. Six-pack of Mr. Lee's noodles, 30 bucks. Access to Jeff Anderson's video marketing course, that's 197 bucks. A $100 voucher to buy some tradies undies or workwear. You get promotion on this show and a backlink in the show notes. Gee, that's a that's a good swag of prizes just for that little email. It's all about taking action, though. If you want to enter the Monster Prize draw, head over, send me an email. Don't head over anywhere. Send an email to tim at timreed.com.au. Tell me one idea you've implemented from listening to the show, what impact it's had on your business. If I read it out on air, you win. Before we wrap things up, just a reminder that you'll find plenty more episodes on the Podcast One Australia app, plus my entire archive full of ideas to grow your business is over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. If you're getting value from listening, then don't keep it a secret. Be sure to let other business owners know about this podcast. Next time, we catch up with a swimming coach who's decided there's a lot more money to be made than by simply walking up and down a pool yelling, kick harder! This podcast was presented by me, Timbo Reed, produced by Matt Dwyer. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. Now get out there and take action. Listener.